Hey everybody, Zach here. Before we dive into this week's episode, I wanted to make you all aware of a new higher education CRM that I've recently come to know that I think many of you will be very, very interested in. Um, and the best way to actually describe what the, really the power of this CRM is to use an experience disruption analogy. So if you listened to one or more of our podcasts, you've probably heard me at some point talk about experience disruption. And one of the best ways to explain what experience disruption is, is to think about Uber's relationship with the traditional taxi industry, right? So from a product standpoint, Uber and your traditional classic yellow taxi cab aren't objectively different, right? They're both going to get you from point A to point B. But the difference with Uber is all in the experience. You can pop up your phone while you're at the bar finishing up your drink and request a car. The car will pull up and it'll take you exactly where you need to go. It's, it's an experience with very, very little friction, and that's why Uber wins. So similarly, Verity CRM is a CRM that acts more like an Uber and less like a traditional higher education CRM, which acts a little bit more like a taxi. So Verity delivers the industry's easiest way to communicate with perspective existing and former students. They have a powerful built-in contact center that facilitates effective communication via multiple contact paths, which really allows university departments to focus on high value conversations that lead to higher retention, greater conversions, and more effective job placement. The CRM is not just really, really powerful, the interface is beautiful, and it's, it's really fun to kind of play around with and build content in. It's super, super, super easy to do. So it's got like the powerful robustness of like a slate, but the easy to use functionality of like a HubSpot. And it's a higher education CRM that's built exclusively for enrollment managers and um, enrollment marketing teams. So if you want to learn more about Verity and you want to understand more about how this product is disrupting the higher education CRM experience space, head on over to verityiq.com. That's verityiq.com forward slash Enrollify to learn more. Hello and welcome to the Enrollify podcast. My name is Zach Buzicruz and I am your host for today's episode. And today I have the great honor of chatting with Ethan Braden, who is the Senior Vice President of Marketing and Communications at Purdue University. Welcome to the show, Ethan. Thank you, Zach. Pleasure to be here. Ethan, one of the things I love to do with guests at the start of each episode, before we sort of dive into a little bit about who they are and and you know where they come from, is to ask them a, a question. And I try to pick a different question um, each each week. So the question I have for you before we dive in is, what's one idea that you've been noodling on recently? And I use idea very loosely yeah. here. This can be uh, an idea for a new product or service or uh, or simply an idea for how you might be able to get uh, more <laughs> sleep with a newborn at home. So, what, what's an idea you've been you've been thinking on recently? Well, th this is a fun question, and it could go a lot of directions. And on the newborn piece, I just have a saint of a wife, so that's um, that helps. That's my saving. That's my saving grace right now. But no, I uh, I thought I would highlight the the following, and that is I've been really lucky over the last few months to have gone out. And, um, and thankfully recruited an executive coach who's a dear mentor and a dear friend by the name of Mark Ferrara. Mark was at 
Lily for many years, uh, VP of HR there, and, and now as a, as a trusted advisor at Disney. Wow. But one of the things that we've been working on or noodling on or identifying as uh, a place of focus is this, this idea of just zoom out, mm-hmm. the idea of perspective, the idea that act like you have more gray hair before you do. Huh. And, and that's been coaching counsel that he's given me of late. I have a road ID uh, bracelet now on my, on my right arm with my, uh, my info. And that was the, the quote that I chose to put there. But I put it there just for that idea of perspective, of always seeing the bigger picture that is there. The, the notion um, that as you get higher in the organization, you're really paid not to make lots of fast decisions, but rather to ask great questions to get the very most of a room and to see the bigger picture so that we make great decisions together. And so really um, keeping top of mind of late this idea of either Zoom out or sitting in a room with, you know, Mitch Daniels, our president, and everyone else that's in there and, and believing that I need to act, you know, like I have 10 years more gray hair than I do at this point and the value of doing that. I love that. I am, am going to steal that one. And I'm taking a note uh, as, as we speak so I can think on that later. Uh, that's that's fantastic. And um, a good reminder, especially in a moment where most of us feel the need to act quickly and act in yeah. uh, somewhat of a frenzied state. I think it's really important to remember that, okay, while there are lots of, there's a ton of uncertainty and there are obstacles out there that are uh, outside of our control that we're all struggling with and handling in different ways, it's still important to pause and to to regroup and to zoom out to generate greater perspective so that we make good decisions. So I, I love that. Thanks for sharing that with us. Thanks. So my next question for you is, um, and, and imagine imagine you're sitting on a plane post-COVID and the person next to you asks what you do. Uh, you know, they, they are not interested in chatting the entire flight, um, but they're not going to let you get away with a simple answer like, I'm in higher education marketing. Um, so how do you explain to them what you do at Purdue and, and then also, you know, what your career to date has looked like thus far? Yeah, no, I like this question. Um, definitely no flying anytime soon. Um, but post COVID when we all do decide to get back on a plane, I mean, the first thing I typically do is have headphones on. So there's probably not a ton of conversation, but (laughs) if, and when there is my, um, my standard response of late has really been, I work for Purdue university in marketing. And, and the reason that I do that is generally speaking, um, most people I talk to have an impression uh, perception and attitude relative to Purdue university. And that's why I, I love discussing uh, the rich history, this strong, precious brand that is uh, this land-grant institution. But if they ask more, if we're going to go into title or, or work through it, I talk about being the chief marketing officer at Purdue University, of having a staff of about 60 to 70 individuals in a central marketing uh, capacity, and then really leading uh, a decentralized marketing community across the campus of about 300 individuals who on a daily basis right, are, are really building um, and preserving and protecting and promoting the Purdue University brand. So if I think about career, you know, I I would talk that over the last 15 years, I've spent it in brand management uh, ever since coming out of Notre Dame for my MBA. And again, spent it in building and positioning and promoting and preserving life-changing brands, whether that was medicines at Eli Lilly and company to now higher education at Purdue. uh, In this case, with a real focus on the students of yesterday, so our alumni, the students of today, and those that are walking our campus as we speak, and the students of tomorrow and deeply understanding them. Did you, can you talk briefly about your shift, right? You, you know, worked at Lilly, you've had uh, experience, you, you went to grad school at MBA. 
how did you decide to get into higher education? Was this sort of like a, a moment you woke up one day and you said, hey, I want to put a little bit more purpose behind what I'm doing? Or sort of, how did you, like, that, that's, a, that's an interesting jump. So can you just, yeah. you know, briefly talk to us about uh, the why behind why you left Lilly and joined Purdue? Well, there's really three reasons why I came to Purdue. Um, the first is, you know, you, you hear Jim Collins talk about this idea of who luck, and I've had a ton of who luck in my life, um, but it's probably no luckier than my association with a gentleman by the name of Dan Hassler. Dan was VP of Global Brands at Eli Lilly and Company, and the person that brought me to Lilly in 2006 for an internship, and then and then full time in 2007. But um, it was also Dan Hassler that brought me to Purdue University in 2018. Um, he had just become the chief marketing officer here at, at Purdue. He'd been here six years for a tenure of which he had told Mitch was only going to be two. And when he took that chief marketing officer role, he said, I essentially want to, to hire my VP. And if he earns it, um, succeed me in that process. And so number one was following Dan to Purdue and knowing that I would learn and I would enjoy the experience of working for him. Number two was quality of life. Uh, you know, I've historically traveled 100, 150 days a year uh, not as proud these days that I'm lifetime platinum with Marriott and Starwood, which means, <laughs> you know, 60 nights and, and doing that for 10 consecutive years amidst everything, everywhere else I traveled and everywhere else I stayed. And so at that time, having a, a two-year-old or three-year-old, uh, and, um, more on the way, at least in plan, the quality of life of living in a college town and investing here and immersing here with a family is just amazing. And then lastly, it's just the strength of the brand. You want to work for things you're proud of. Uh, you know, I've, I've had some dogs of brands over the years and you put your heart and soul into those too, but it's so much easier to jump out of bed in the morning if you're excited and you're proud and you love the brand that you represent, the brand that you protect, the brand that you promote and the people around you and you believe in its mission and what it's doing in the world. So um, being able to represent Purdue University and, and tell the world about it uh, gets you out of bed pretty quickly. And so all of those aligned. Fantastic. Appreciate that, that, that backstory. Um, and this is a, a fantastic segue into uh, the topic of today's conversation, which is really about transforming random acts of marketing into intentional marketing, um, which you've written about before and, and you know, talked about before. But I actually want to start with you sharing the story of Purdue's recent rebrand with us. Can you take us back to the beginning? Why did Purdue decide to rebrand? Um, and what initial steps did you take to sort of initiate uh, this effort. Yeah, no, it's a it's a fun story to talk about it. You know, I, I think it's it's less about a rebrand per se, and it's more about an evolution. So, going into 2018, um, the university was approaching its 150th um, anniversary, and what we found before then were a lot of good uh, acts of marketing, I suppose, across the campus, but they were telling a very unclear story. Hmm. They were telling departmental and college and unit stories in very different ways to oftentimes the same audiences. The 150th anniversary was a great example and the hard work of a few people, including Dan Hassler's leadership, to really get people on the same sheet of music and believe that we're louder when we whisper together. And so it was a unifying marketing and really a celebratory campaign over a year that taught the campus what it means to sing in harmony. Hmm. Well, as we exited that, the, the question really was, um, we've had this you know, year-long party and we've gotten along extremely well, and, and we look and, and feel and, and say things that look like they're coming from the same place of people that talk. And when it's over, you know, do you, do you go to the after party together, or do you separate back to your all disparate corners? And uh -huh. so that was the challenge was, are you going to stay with this sort of consistency and compelling nature moving forward, 
or you're going to go back to your old way of doing things. Moreover, um, I think the insight that was there for the 150th anniversary was very strong, but we always kind of looked at it as the tip of the, of the, uh, of the iceberg. And what we sought to really do is if we were going to move from a year-long campaign to really an enduring brand platform, we needed to understand a deeper essence of Purdue University. So as you talk about process, what we really did was dive deep with the help of some external parties and really work to understand the cross-cutting essence of Purdue University across the generations, across the demographics, et cetera. Making sure that the insight and the brand platform and our narrative and our visual identity uh, was compelling and consistent, that it was forward-looking, that it was inclusive, et cetera. And so what popped out is this evolution called the Next Giant Leap. You know, we're home to 25 astronauts over the years, including Neil Armstrong. And the notion that um, many of our students are coming to Purdue University with the belief that the small steps that they take are the ones that are going to lead them to the careers that they desire. Hmm. But you have an alumnus or maybe a corporation that's looking at Purdue from the other side saying, I'm less interested in the small steps. I'm more proud of those giant leaps or maybe even sustained excellence. And so we built a platform that was very flexible, that was uh, really hit on this idea of the next giant leap. But the essence that we aligned upon is this idea of persistent innovation together. The three legs of the stool, cornerstones of Purdue University, this Boilermaker engineering spirit that just doesn't give up, the innovation uh, of an institution that Dan Hassler used to say when he came to work in the morning, he thought something was science fiction. And by the evening, he believed it was documentary at Purdue. And then lastly, the togetherness of those two words, as well as the togetherness of our Boilermakers, Um, a collaborative versus competitive spirit here, an environment of marathon runners with their head down trying to beat their own time. Uh, versus trying to beat the sprinter next to you and believing when I have my head down and I'm doing my very best that when I look up, oftentimes I am the best, Neil Armstrong, Drew Brees, et cetera. So this brand evolution really came as an attempt to stay in harmony and to stay compelling and consistent as we you know, message to our diverse audiences for the future, but making sure that it was a deep understanding and insight that cross cuts across Purdue's rich history. That was very beautifully said. And, you know, you make it seem as if this was this uh, frictionless um, uh, uh, process that just, uh, you know, fell together neatly. You had all the people in the right room that you needed. You, you know, cycled in new people and everyone were uh, yes men and yes women. And you guys just conquered this. I'm sure it wasn't, I'm sure it wasn't as easy as that. And, you know, in higher education, um, typically institutions are, are filled with all sorts of silos. And so I'm curious, could you spend some time walking us through how you managed the internal adoption of of the new brand? Like, how did you motivate internal stakeholders in particular to embody this evolution? And, you know, what advice would you give to folks who are in the process of doing the same or they're thinking about doing the same? Um, what sort of like lessons learned along the way about who should be at the table, maybe who shouldn't be at the table? Um, how do you go about managing something as uh, as large and as significant um, as a, a brand evolution for a very well-known higher education institution? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, a few points here. You know, the first one stems from this, I, should, I think, this idea that the great brands don't just happen, right? You have to be intentional about what you're building, and they're built on a great positioning and a great story. And again, we had many good examples of disparate marketing, but they were telling an unclear story. You know, when we talk around the internal adoption, probably the smartest thing that we did from the very beginning, it was in place here for about a week before I arrived, was the notion of a brand council or, uh, you know, a, a body 
of 25 or 30 of the top marketing individuals across the campus, the top marketer across our colleges, our departments, our units, whatever it may be, in creating a coalition, um, believing that people support that which they create. And so we brought them along um, as a whole and in, and in smaller groups throughout the entirety of this brand evolution process. You know, number two, we, we invested heavily, uh, and I think smartly, to say, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it well. And so we really took a comprehensive, professional, research-based, and insight-driven process, um, first leaning on a firm called Brand Trust up in Chicago, and then utilizing our agency partner in Ology, um, really hand-in-glove together, to first develop a really deep, emotional audience understanding. You know, we conducted over 100 interviews, 26 of those being the deep emotional inquiries that Brand Trust facilitates, but we also scrubbed social media for about 1,500 posts and then, um, and then coded about 900 of them sort of as a quantitative exercise to validate our qualitative insights. Hmm. Um, so people could see the deep understanding they could hear from alumni, from faculty, from students, from parents, even from employers, the, the direct quotations, the insights, the consistency of how they define the essence of Purdue University. We use that to really socialize across the board. Again, everything from the board of trustees to President Daniels to Provost Ackridge um, to th those that run enrollment management across the board to create um, first elicit feedback, but then to create buy-in at all levels. Um, the, the next thing I would suggest is we launched it actually to that brand council first. So you essentially had to train the trainer or you had the, the already evangelized who were going back to their departments, their colleges, their deans, et cetera, um, having already understood where we were going and believing in it. And so they were ambassadors in that case. But we launched it also with a seriousness um, that suggested that um, we were going to set uh, clear expectations for our execution. We were going to inspire and we were going to educate over that two-day launch meeting. And that started by having President Daniels uh, present mm. and telling four, 400 in attendance, if there's going to be 400 of you on this campus working in marketing communications, I expect to see a market return. I expect to see the consistency and the compelling nature that Ethan talks about. And I expect an alumnus to receive a piece or seven pieces, who knows, and say, oh, this all feels like it comes from the same place and I understand what they're trying to drive. And then lastly, and I think this was important, you know, coming from Lilly, we really took a perspective of a global brand team and said, we're going to support our colleges, departments, et cetera, like affiliates. And so we're going to support them with a bevy or an arsenal of resources, of brand guides, of photography, of videography, of narrative, of assets, a lot of ideas, a lot of resources for them to implement versus necessarily have to create a spirit of replicating and localizing great versus feeling like they had to work from a blank uh, sheet of paper as they implemented in their own college or department. So when they looked back, they had the Verizon network behind them. They had this huge arsenal of resources that they were not used to, to be able to launch it with their own local insights to their own target audiences. And so I think that together created this environment of, of what I've found to be incredible adoption thus far and a transformation of being able to scroll Instagram, for instance, across our many, many, many accounts here at Purdue University and see common language, to see compelling narratives, and to see consistency in particular in look and feel. I love that last point in particular, and I think that that's where so many institutions fail, is they spend you know, insane amounts of money, resources, uh, developing, augmenting their brands, rebranding, evolving their brand, whatever it might be, and then 
they fail to empower the colleges. They fail to empower the departments with the resources that they actually need to effectively communicate that new brand. And I think that what you guys uh, have done is is genius, quite honestly. And you know, you guys can the the brand you know the brand council can be in full agreement. You can have top le- uh, level uh, leadership buy in around the direction that you're headed in. But if the people on the boots, you know, the people with the boots on the ground don't understand the importance of this and aren't able to easily adopt this within the context of their day-to-day, right, you're not going to get brand consistency across the board. So I think that, that that sort of for our listeners is a is a crucial takeaway is like how do you enable your people, regardless of where they are within the enterprise, to have access to the resources that they actually need to effectively change their communications so that they are consistent with this new brand evolution. Yeah, I, I think I, I love the Adam Grant quotation. He says, worry less about what's on brand and worry more about what's in character. What we were trying to do is create an environment of marketing maturity and discipline where if you get the ultimate essence, you can operate in character. Hmm. Dan used to say, we don't have to be necessarily twins, but we certainly need to have either a bloodline or, or we're cousins of some form because at a place like this, the most equity-rich um, component of anything that's going on here is the fact that it's associated with Purdue University. It's yeah. the Purdue University's business school. It's Purdue University's college of education, et cetera. They don't necessarily stand on their own, but they're richer and they have connotations, again, of that persistence, of that innovation, of that collaborative environment, those Midwestern values when you just say the word Purdue and whatever follows it. So getting us to be that so Purdue across you know 50,000 folks here that walk campus daily across 2,500 acres and getting us into character was um, was really the pursuit. Fantastic. I'm curious, how did this compare? How did this particular process uh, compare to other brand evolutions or, or rebranding projects that you've led and or worked on throughout the context of your career? Yeah, it, it's been a tremendous year, year and a half um, journey that we've been on. Just wonderful people working really hard to do justice to this precious and strong brand, which has been here for 150 years. So um, not like we're hatching it from the very beginning, but making sure that, again, it's it's compelling, it's consistent, that it can occupy a unique window in our target audience's minds. And so I'd say compared to the corporate experiences I've had, there's actually more similarities um, than differences. You know, there's still a high level of complexity. Uh, Tons of target audiences that have changing demographics, needs, frustrations, aspirations, et cetera. It's a mature, defined brand, so it's slower to move, um, and, and there's many perceptions of what it stands for. Uh, you got all these people speaking on its behalf, right? So when you talk about unique, challenging, or surprising, this idea that on any given day, I know of at least 400 social media accounts across Purdue's enterprise. Wow. Yeah. And so each and every one of them are speaking on behalf of Purdue University and making an impression on our behalf with someone. You know, at Lilly, there were two or three people that could do that before they'd get seen by a lawyer. <laughs> so to have that sort of um, decentralized nature, that sort of noise, you have to influence without authority and, and create, again, that environment of getting in character. You know, number two for me, this is a, this is a pretty serious place. Um, it can be sterile at times. It can be clinical at times. And so actually turning up the emotion here, I think, was important because when you talk to alumni, when you talk to students... Uh, we talk to parents, they use big emotional words. They talk about their love for Purdue University. They get tattoos of it. Mm. They have license plates of it, right? They have raving fans and big donations. And it's all coming from a very emotional place. 
And so how do you really um, understand and then harness that emotion that is unifying at a place where, you know, for the last eight years, we've had uh, frozen tuition, which is amazing. Yeah, and it's yeah. given us great equity. And it's been a great, uh, I think, suggestion to parents and families that we have your best interests in mind and that we're going to, you know, prevent the rising higher education costs. But that wasn't true necessarily of those generations beforehand. And so that may not be the reason they love Purdue University, at least from their own experience. So how do you harness that deep emotional love that's cross-cutting, that's unifying, and um, and turn that up at an otherwise sometimes pretty serious, uh, you know, STEM institution? And then lastly, you know, this was this is uh, a matter of creating a common language in a place that just didn't necessarily have it. How do we um, go from a lot of people with similar descriptions but different to really a, 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 an understood essence of what does Purdue stand for? Uh, who are we? What do we offer to the world? As Seth Godin says, what's the change we purport to make in the world? And how do we occupy that unique window in the mind with consistency? And so creating that common language um, was unique um, to the process, but also pretty common to, to corporate experience. Now, you guys launched, it's my understanding, you guys launched this brand evolution about two months, 60 days before the COVID-19 pandemic struck the U.S. So how do you see the Purdue brand helping the university face this crisis? I, I know from things I saw on social media that you all were seen pretty quickly as a leader in this space that was addressing the crisis well and responding uh, in, in really interesting and uh, engaging ways. And so I'm hoping you could just sort of talk to us a little bit about what that moment was like for you all and how you responded. Yeah, I mean, there's no substitute for having such a strong and visionary leader out front as Mitch Daniels. So, um, you know, as I think about advice for other campuses or organizations, it's uh, it's hard to, to tell them, well, just go find yourself another Mitch Daniels. So I, I have to sure, acknowledge sure. that. But the reality was when we, when we started to face COVID, you know, let's say the end of March, for instance, I, I was just tremendously and I remain tremendously thankful that we had done the work that we had done and that we had launched the brand because it was a unifying essence and it provided a framework for those three or 400 individuals to communicate with the world really during a time, as you spoke, of chaos, a time of throw the playbook out the window. Um, it's chaotic. We're trying to yield students for the fall. We have no idea what's going on. Uh, another institution's doing this or saying this. We should do that too. Yeah. And so instead of the chaos that you saw from some what we really tried to do um, was use the brand, use our, our messaging pillars as beacons and unifiers of those three or 400. You know, Mike Tyson said, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And that was COVID for us. Yeah, yeah. But what we did was then unify around that. Um, and really in a time where I know Jamie Gilpin from Sprout said that um, these days, social media is the only open door for some brands. We said, hey, we're going to use the avenues that we have to communicate with the world. And we're going to look like we talk on a daily basis. We're going to continue to edify our brand. And what we did was we hatched a 16-week, uh, what I called air cover. And that was for two weeks, we went against one of the eight uh, messaging pillars and we hit it for those two weeks hard, whether that was persistence or growth or respect or innovation or inclusion. By the end of those 16 weeks, you were going to come out and say, hey, when I experience Purdue, I feel a certain consistency around its virtues, its values. Etc. And it paid off wildly for us. We saw really significant um, gains. You know, we had 30 million impressions so far over the COVID period. That's up 127% year over year. We've seen engagement up 150% uh, 
um, during that same period. We're up 200% engagement and views right now on YouTube. And my, one of my favorite ones is just uh, in the last year, we gained 38,000 followers across our social media accounts, but 26,000 of those came in the last 16 weeks. Wow. So we wow. really grabbed the brand and said, let it guide us. I mean, talk about a time uh, when the world needs persistence, innovation, and they need it together. And so we've had a, a chance to really fervently and ardently live our brand, embrace our brand, and use it to guide us. Um, really like the Patriots down 28-3 in the Super Bowl with two minutes left in the third quarter. You can either throw the playbook out or you can run your play. And yeah. we've run our play. Yeah. Very, very well said. And it sounds like the experience you had all gone through and really the community that you had built around this effort and this institutional-wide effort to enact uh, in, this, to, to bring this brand evolution to life was hugely instrumental in you all being able to respond so well in a moment, as you said, where the rest of the world, the rest of higher education uh, was in crisis. And I think hopefully folks can uh, hear your story and find hope in it and, you know, maybe figure out ways in which to adapt this in their own context for any creative projects that they're working on, any marketing campaigns that they're working on. If they are in the process of, a, of a, any sort of brand evolution, how do you use this moment? How do you use yeah. you know, the brand evolution really as sort of the the microcosm of how you build a, a you know, collaboration, collaborative team across the enterprise and how you unite people and provide people with some sort of clarity, some sort of vision in a world where um, that is that is sparse and that's hard to come by. So I, I love that idea. And it sounds like you guys really benefited from the work that you had done ahead of time. Um, and the, you know, the way in which you were able to pivot creatively as COVID struck, I think was hugely, um, the, the, you know, the performance of that was um, in large part due to the trust that you had all been able to build as a team pre-COVID. Well, absolutely. I think it's in Billy Madison when he says, I, I'm sure glad I called that guy. I mean, this <laughs> one for us was, I'm sure glad we built this because it became the foundation and a playbook to get in character, right? You go into the fall and for any higher education marketers, you know, we had a goal, excuse me, you go into the spring with COVID and, and we have a goal for the fall. We have a freshman goal for the sure, fall. Sure. In March, that goal looked pretty damn hard. And now um, we've yielded, you know, almost a thousand more than that goal. We have record enrollment um, again going into um, 2020, uh, the fall of 2020, in a time where I think many people would have said that's impossible. So we were um, thrilled, and and to be able to see, as Jack Butcher from Visualize uh, Value says, you know, find a thousand ways to say say the same thing. We needed to help, you know, 400 people find a thousand ways to say the same thing, believing we contribute a tiny fraction of the daily content anybody consumes. And so that consistency builds equity in our message during a pivotal time. Now, I want to shift from branding to marketing more generally and uh, actually talk about a post that you wrote and was published on Salesforce's blog a while back that sort of fleshed out this, this need to transform what you call random acts of marketing into intentional marketing. Can you just, I, when I read that, I was uh, was inspired and felt like you you just kind of, you know, hit the, the nail on the head there, especially for us higher education marketers. So can you flesh this out a bit for us? And how do you see this ringing true, especially in higher ed, considering the, considering the context that you had um, before moving into the industry? Yeah, no, I, I like that term. It seems to hit with people when you say it, this idea of random acts of marketing. It's, it's really the, um, the opposite of what we think we should be doing, which is intentional, deliberate marketing. 
And for me, it, it started and it stems from a book by Tim Calkins up at, uh, up at Northwestern called Great, uh, Breakthrough Marketing Plans. We used it at Lilly. We taught it all over the world. And it was just the notion that at the end of the day, our efforts um, need to ladder to something bigger. They need to ladder to an institutional goal, a mission, an objective, a terminal metric, whatever it may be, versus what you see oftentimes. And that's not just true in higher education. It's all over the board which is we gravitate to the shiny penny tactics. We gravitate to the fun stuff. We need a logo. Uh, we need a website. We need a podcast. Um, we need a new social account. Okay, and what are you going to do with that, right? And what does that ladder to? When you do this, how's it going to help us achieve our goals on the year? So instead of the random acts of marketing, you know, this idea of deliberate intentional marketing really stems from understanding What's the goal for the year? Uh, Lily, that was a business objective of sales, for instance. Here, it may be certain institutional metrics. You know, beyond that, what are two or three big bets we're placing on the year that if they go right, we believe we will achieve that goal? Those two or three strategic initiatives that we need to use, again, as guideposts or big rocks that we're going to move on the year. From there, we really have to talk about our target audiences and we say, okay, what's the current attitude, belief, and behavior of that target audience? And what's the desired one? And mm. from there, the tactics are basically a bridge to walk from current to desired. The tactics are, you know, aimed at the idea that if we do them well and we reach that desired attitude, belief, behavior of a target constituent, audience, customer, whatever, helps us achieve those strategic initiatives and ultimately helps us achieve our institutional goals. That's deliberate, it's intentional, it's strategic versus let's just throw anything we have against the wall and see what sticks. How do you... Um, for us, oh, sorry, that's what we've been trying... For us, that's what we've been trying to instill. The why do we do the things we do? Where are we focused? And, and knowing that a yes is oftentimes then a bunch of no's to other things. So why are those yeses yeses? Fantastic. And, you know, uh, my question for you is how do you help, like, how do you disseminate that from a cultural standpoint down uh, across your, you know, 400 plus team of people? Like, yeah. I understand, like, at the highest level, like, objectives, key results, like, this is what we're going to focus on. And, and you know, these these are institutional priorities. And, you know, they're, they're oftentimes somewhat vague, right, with, um, you know, some sort of, like, these are the KPIs that we're going to use to, to measure, measure the success of this effort. But how do you, I think one of the big challenges for folks is, like, how do you, from a cultural standpoint, get that to be adopted by the marketer that's working for one program yeah. in, you know, one yeah. graduate program to the marketer that's helping, you know, work with enrollment management, right? So how did you guys do that or how do you do that? Yeah, the reality is we haven't yet. Um, so in the central team, you know, it's been something we've been working on for the last 18 months. The reality is, you know, we did do a, a seminar over the summer um, with all of our marketers across the university where we taught this as a session. Hmm. We taught this idea of breakthrough marketing plans. We issued everyone the book. But, you know, to be great in this would be the idea that each college, department, unit, et cetera, would write a marketing plan in this structure, understanding their dean's goals or their vice provost goals, et cetera, and be able to then defend tactics that collectively contribute to the achievement of those goals, right? And from then, you'd fund them. That's how, we, that's how it would go if it was going great. Um, that's something we want to do over time. We want to institutionalize the idea of true, deliberate marketing planning that suggests that the things that we work on on a daily basis are going to advance the goals of our leaders and that thus those should be invested in a re or, or resourced by our CFO and, and treasurer. So um, that's to come. That's how it worked in a previous life and that's how we envision it in the future. But in the meantime, we have a, a couple of very talented marketing strategists on our team and they work with our colleges and departments and that's a, a tool set uh, that they're bringing into those, those meetings, those discussions, et cetera, is really asking about 
you know, how are your tactics aligning to the goals that you have for the fall or for the spring or for your dean or for development? And, and just having good conversations about trying to create alignment between our actions and our desired results. That's gold. That's gold there. I We should just uh, repeat that and, and say that again. Um, <laughs> what I want to do now is actually shift to just sort of like Ethan's uh, preferences and sort of your like where you source inspiration from and you know as somebody that's worked in the space for for a while and has had the the you know the privilege of working with a number of great uh, leaders throughout your throughout your tenure and work for and with a number of great brands uh, I'm curious which brands totally agnostic of industry do you find most interesting or or most inspirational and that's you know part a of the question and then part b is did any of these brands influence Purdue's brand uh brand evolution in any sort mm -hmm. of meaningful way yeah so starting with the first question for me um another exercise that i've worked with with my coach mark ferrara is just sort of which brands do you love and why and what do they say in the aggregate about you but the the three that i pulled out today and, and they're probably, um, at least the first two are pretty specific to COVID, or at least they were accelerated uh, or crescendoed by, by COVID. The first one being Lululemon. You know, I think uh, as you think about product, as you think about performance, as you think about the combination of comfort and versatility, uh, if I can wear Lululemon every day of the, of the week and wear it to work respectively, um, I, I have a pretty good day. So I love that brand. I love how it feels. I love how it makes me feel. Uh, the second is Bombas. So I'm staying in the in the clothing lines here of, of their socks. But the, the thing that I love about that brand is it's all word of mouth. You know, when I went to make my first purchase, um, it was the first time I'd ever been on their website. I wasn't going to learn. I didn't have a, a zero moment of truth that was with them necessarily. I had it from friends telling me how great these socks were, what a great experience they had had. And then I watched my mother have the same thing in terms of their customer service. And so their word of mouth power is so, so impressive that I love that brand. Uh, and then lastly, I, I highlight Warby Parker on sort of the macro level of brands. I'm going to give you one more here in a second, but Warby Parker for me is just the epitome of an incredible brand story, right? I don't know what their advertisements look like right now. I don't know what their billboards look like on Michigan Avenue, but I know why the company was started and I believe in it and I love it. And I think it's, it's impactful and it's emotional and it's deep and it's caring. And uh, I love that they have this powerful brand story to share their mission. You know, locally, um, my favorite brand is actually a, is a steakhouse in Indianapolis called St. Elmo. Huh. Uh, anytime you come to Indianapolis, people will say, you've got to go to St. Elmo. And it's, uh, it's an incredible story in that, you know, you think about how does this place have this incredible brand, this incredible history, this incredible success competing against 10 other steakhouses in downtown Indianapolis within a quarter mile of one another. And that comes again from having an amazing brand story, from having incredible service, uh, an incredible history. You know, there's some scarcity and prestige there about can you get a reservation? They have an amazing sort of underground loyalty program that makes you feel like you are somebody. Huh. And when you can walk into a place like that and it's, you know, Norma Cheers, boy, talk about an emotional connection. You know, they have a signature item. You'll never hear anybody say, go to St. Elmo and not follow that off by saying, and you've got to have the shrimp cocktail. It'll be the hottest shrimp cocktail you've ever had. Um, and now they're just getting brilliant with their line extensions of other restaurants of their cocktail sauce, of their horseradish sauce, et cetera. Point being, they've, they've got this beautiful nucleus that is St. Elmo. They've tapped into really the emotion of coming to Indianapolis and being the one place you got to go for a lot of reasons. And now they're expanding it. So that's, that's one other in that first answer. But on that second piece, you know, I thought about this a lot. There's one. And I go back to the Adam Grant 
you know, worry less about what's on brand and more, more about what's in character. Sure. And that brand Southwest huh. for me, I don't know. I, I haven't read Southwest brand book. You know, I know they have a marketing department that works on rapid rewards and their website, et cetera. But at the end of the day, they also have an essence. They are in character with their 56,000 employees. And that's, that's an essence of freedom. That's an essence of freedom that you sit where you want, that bags fly for free and that the, um, that the flight attendants can do the uh, safety message as a rap or a poem. And that's that freedom that they get into in terms of character. And so that's what we wanted to distill and harness here at Purdue of how do we get into a that's so Purdue, this element of persistence, of innovation, come together and that be the litmus of the character check, you know, that you operate, that you utilize when marketing or speaking to the world. So we view Southwest as this idea of your essence is freedom. They get into the character of freedom and we need to do that with persistence, with innovation. And we do that together. What's su- super interesting about that too is I think that some of the best brands, you feel something different when you interact with them in any given way. And yet it can be hard, at least at first, to put your finger on what is different about this. Like, why am I totally. feeling the way that I'm feeling, right? And then it requires reflection. And I think that Southwest is, is you know, case in point, right? The first time you fly Southwest, it's sort of like weird. Like, what what do you mean I'm like lining up and I have like a number and I can pick where, you know, what, what, you know, what seat I want. But then before, as you get on the flight, as you sit down, like you realize, whoa, this is the same safety message. It's just different. And it requires, like it, it forces the user to reflect. And I think that all yeah. great brands, they give off some sort of experience. They're, there's some sort of uh, culture about them that might not be incredibly obvious at first, but it requires the user to think. And I think that's what you guys have done um, is, you know, is, or at least the spirit you're trying to cultivate is, okay, it's first a feeling. You talked a lot about emotion. You talked about really drawing out the emotion of Purdue's brand um, in light yeah. of interviews you had with stakeholders about what they're how they felt about the brand. And I think like that's, you know, step A is, okay, draw out emotion, right? Cultivate a unique experience. And then step B coupled with very closely with step A is force the user to reflect on why they feel the way that they do. And that's a power, you know, that's the power of a great brand. Yeah, no, it's entirely about identity. I agree. You know, it's, it's how does it make me feel? How does it make me feel about myself? And what does it tell others about me? Or at least that I want them to think or feel about me. Um, and I just love that notion of whether it's St. Elmo's or, or why do you fly Southwest versus Delta? And what is it about Southwest that you enjoy, that you love, that you embrace, that it tells the world? Is it, you know, the practicality? Is it the predictability? Is it the, the freedom of sitting where you want? Is it the cities they go to? What does it say about you? And what does it tell others about you that you want them to know? And I, I think that really comes through when we do the work that we do. My final question for you is what are a couple of lessons, uh, could just be one, could be three, um, that you've learned over the course of your career with respect to marketing or branding or creative leadership, really anything that you'd like to sort of leave our listeners with today? Yeah, I think a two. um, The the first one is, and this goes back to doing that hard work up front. That's the doing the uh, the deep understanding versus jumping to the shiny penny. And that point for me is there's just no substitute for deep, fervent, curious customer understanding. You know that comes from empathy. That comes from having a, a commitment to the space, a patience in the space to really um, dig deep and finally unearth and polish an insight. But there's just there's nothing. There's no substitute for really getting someone 
um, you know, the, the um, idea that one great insight is worth more than the thousand good ideas. But if I get you at your core, if I get our customers at their core, their aspirations, their tensions, their frustrations, there's just no substitute from starting there. And then the second one goes hand in hand with that. And that is, I think, oftentimes with marketing and as marketers, we have to embrace, we have to ingest, we have to be comfortable with this idea that it's oftentimes not for us, or at least it may not be for you. But let's say it fervently, positively, it's not for you, right? Um, I'm not an 18-year-old, 17-year-old in Indianapolis looking to get a computer science degree. So how do we understand, how do we speak to, how do we inspire, how do we delight that young man, that young woman, and their family? How do we help them survive or thrive? How do we address their unmet needs, their frustrations, their tensions, their aspirations, when these may not be mine? And so I think that's a great you know, mirror test of when a, when a piece goes out to the market saying, is this for my customer or is it a reflection of just me? And I think around here especially, we have to embrace this idea that our, our marketing oftentimes is not for us. It's for a target customer and it has to delight uh, and inspire and move them to action. And that's the, the key, right? That's the test. Does it do that well? Not, do I just like it? Does yeah. it speak to my work? Do I think it's pretty? Do I think it'll work? No. Does it work with my target audience, my target customer? For me, that it's not for you component is so important to embrace and to be comfortable and confident with. Well, Ethan, thank you very, very much. Uh, so much wisdom here. Really appreciate you sharing your story, sharing oodles of, of uh, pieces of advice and, and great sort of uh, quotes and, and excerpts for our listeners to, to walk away with. Really appreciate your time. Um, if folks want to connect with you and or just learn a little bit more about the Purdue Brand Evolution story, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah, I mean, the, the Purdue website, purdue.edu, brand.purdue.edu is where really all of our works, all of our secrets are. It's not as pretty as I want it yet for the outside world, but it's very functional in terms of telling our story and equipping our people to, to tell their stories. My contact info is there, and I'm our Ethan Braden at Twitter, although I'm trying to put much less there these days and just consume. So I'm not sure I'm the best follow, but uh, I, welcome a, I welcome an email or a phone call from anybody that wants to chat and look forward to learning from them as well. Fantastic. Well, thank you again for your time, sir. And we'll talk more soon. Thanks. This was a a real pleasure. Thank you so much. If you are an enrollment marketer working in marketing and communications or enrollment management and would be willing to be interviewed on the podcast, or if you have an idea for a topic that you'd like to hear covered on the podcast, please reach out directly to me at Zach, Z-A-C-H at Enrollify.org. We sincerely look forward to working with you to make Enrollify the most trusted, go-to digital resource for enrollment marketers out there.